Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue our journey this summer through the Big Ten, God's Ten Commandments, we've arrived today at the Sixth Commandment. Maybe some of you with small children are sitting in the congregation today wondering, should we just walk out right now? I promise I will try to keep this as PG as we can to still discuss the truths of the Sixth Commandment and why they're important. Why it's important to recognize what it is that God is protecting with his Sixth Commandment and why it's beneficial for us to honor God in the way that we respond to this commandment. All right, I have a question for you this morning. You're going to have one of three choices, all right? So the question is this, do you like roller coasters? Right, here are your three choices of response. Number one, you can say, nope, they're not really for me. Number two, oh, I can take them or leave them. Or number three, sign me up, I'd like to ride right now. Okay, let's start. Any, uh, no, they're not really for me, people's roller coasters? Oh, wow, a lot, okay. Quite a few, not, not for me. All right, take or leave, there are people that take, so we got quite a few of those. Who are my roller coaster lovers? I almost saw, okay, just a few of you. Okay, a few more over there, that's nice. You know that expression, right? We talk about life being a roller coaster. Even if you don't like to ride them, you get the idea of the ups and downs that we have in this life. Perhaps there's no other life recorded in the Bible that has extreme ups and extreme lows like the life of Joseph. That's who we're going to focus on in our sermon text today. Do you remember a little bit about Joseph's life? If you don't, I would love for you to read about Joseph this week. You can go to Genesis chapter 37. You can read all the way through Genesis chapter 50 to find all about what God did through the life of Joseph. But you might remember that Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob and he was his dad's favorite. And that favoritism caused trouble in his family as the other brothers resented him. And in their resentment, they ended up selling him into slavery. Right? So he went from his father's favorite to being in a foreign country, Egypt, and being all by himself. That's where we're going to pick up the story today. Now I want you to go back to those roller coasters for a little bit because that's Joseph's life. And I'll ask you this question. Even those of you that raised your hand about how much you love roller coasters, my wife showed me a video this past week of a, I'm not sure why that's not working. Chelsea, can I have you click it for me? There we go, now it's working. Thank you. Of a rider of a roller coaster who had an unexpected event as they were riding the roller coaster. A seagull actually flew right into her face as she was riding the roller coaster. Might that change your mind a little bit about how excited you are to ride roller coasters? I'm going to tell you that as I thought about that video this week, that is what Joseph's life in the event that we're going to cover must have felt like. Not only was it a roller coaster ride for Joseph to have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, but now even when he tries to do the right thing, it seems to smack him in the face. Let's take a look at what happened with Joseph in Genesis 39. We'll read verses 6b to 10. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has trusted, entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. We're going to use these words in this event from the story of Joseph to review the sixth commandment. And so, would you join with me in reciting the sixth commandment and Luther's explanation? You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we lead a pure and decent life in words and actions, and that husband and wife love and honor each other. Today, as we take a look at Joseph's life, what Joseph really demonstrates for us is how to follow God's will for our lives, the way to obey. And as we think about that truth, the way to obey, Joseph demonstrates how we can ask the right question and also know the right answer. Yes, Joseph's story is a fascinating one. And as we picked up the text, he's in the house of a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar, the captain of the guard, one of Pharaoh's officials. All of the ups and downs that Joseph had already experienced in his life were caused really by his father's favoritism. You remember the object that demonstrated to the rest of the family that Joseph was his father's favorite? Do you remember that it was a coat? A special coat, often translated a coat of many colors? That was the object that found scorn in the eyes of Joseph's brothers. And when they had the opportunity, they seized it. Not just to take his coat, but to sell Joseph into slavery and then dip that coat in blood and take it back to his father as if Joseph had died. Yes, Joseph was sold. Sold for a few pieces of silver, sent off to a foreign land. We're not going to talk a lot about it today, but I think it's important for me to say this. As you read through that story of Joseph, Remember that none of these things happened by chance. Every event of Joseph's life led to God having Joseph right where he needed him to be at the exact right time. Many of you will remember that was being ready to interpret the dream of Pharaoh and then help not just Egypt, but really the whole surrounding area, including Joseph's own family, through a severe famine. As Joseph served Potiphar, Everything went well. The Bible simply tells us that God was with Joseph. And not only did Joseph prosper, but the entire household of Potiphar prospered. Joseph simply says it this way, With me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself about anything except for the food that he eats. Things were again on the upswing for Joseph, weren't they? But there was one snag, one fly in the ointment, I suppose we could say, and that was Mrs. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, who kept presenting Joseph with a temptation. A temptation that must have been difficult for Joseph to resist. I want to talk about one truth that we can take from Joseph's life already here at this point. Truth number one, following God's will for our lives won't be easy. It wasn't easy for Joseph and it won't be easy for you or for me either. I don't know about you, but I don't like to hear that. I would love for life to be easy, for the devil simply to go away, stop bringing temptations into my life, for my own sinful flesh to simply be able to get past all of the things that cause me trouble. And yet that's not what our Christian life is like, is it? And so it means focus. 
It means understanding who we are by nature. It means recognizing that the strength doesn't come from within ourselves. Maybe we can learn a little lesson from Joseph too. Joseph's situation is pretty easy to understand. Potiphar's wife doesn't really make a secret what she wants from Joseph. She simply made him this proposition, come to bed with me. Joseph's answer really was not an answer. It was a question, wasn't it? How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Do you find that answer of Joseph, the question that he asked her, do you find that amazing? I'm going to guess that Potiphar's wife wasn't used to not being obeyed by her husband's servants. And yet here's Joseph resisting her advances, not because of some excuse that he came up with, but simply because he refused to dishonor his God. This was a real temptation. Did you catch in Joseph's words how he went through the whole thing? I have the whole house at my disposal, but my master has withheld one thing from me because you are his wife. Maybe you almost expect Joseph to say, how could I do such a wicked thing and offend Potiphar? But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, Joseph knew that sin was more than just weakness. Sin was more than just a momentary lapse of judgment. Sin is a slap in the face of his holy God. That's why Joseph stood up to Potiphar's wife and said, I can't do this. It's a sin against God. Sixth commandment is pretty straightforward when you think about it. Do not commit adultery. And yet I think the sixth commandment provides us with a particular challenge when it comes to the type of temptations that we face. You see, so many of the temptations that involve the sixth commandment are private in nature. It's two consenting adults, right? Nobody needs to know what's happening in my office, in my study, in my bedroom. It's pretty easy to make excuses and say things like, well, God wants me to have fun, right? He wants me to enjoy my life. Certainly this would be a part of that. But Joseph teaches us an important lesson, doesn't he? That when God calls something sin, he wants us to see it as sin too. He wants us to have the same attitude that Joseph had, that this is more than just a lapse in judgment or a weakness in my sinful nature, but a slap in the face of my God. You see, what God wants us to recognize is that the commandments that he gives us aren't to ruin our fun, they aren't to spoil our weekend, but to protect. Think of the damage that sin can cause, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of others. And maybe that's especially true when we talk about the sixth commandment. Maybe you've heard this expression before, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? You understand the difference, I'm sure. A thermometer takes the temperature of the room. A thermostat sets the temperature of the room. Would you agree that there's always a temptation for us as Christians to be more thermometer than thermostat? To sort of take the temperature of the room or maybe, should I say, the society in which we live? Think about it. 
Just look around our world. Look at what people think about God's sixth commandment. It's archaic. God didn't know what he was saying. Certainly we've advanced far past what God said in his word 2,000 years ago. Is it fair to say that we live in a world that wipes its feet on God's sixth commandment? And then is it fair to say that maybe you and I have become desensitized to the kind of things that are a dishonor to God, a discredit to him? That maybe we've become a little bit more thermometer than thermostat? We need God's strength. We need God's strength to be the one setting the temperature, to honor God, to say with Joseph the right question, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? The second truth I'd like you to think about today, that the right attitude towards sin is essential in fighting against it. Understanding what sin does and understanding how it separates us from God is essential to wanting to follow what God says in his word for our lives. Let's go back to the story of Joseph for a moment. Joseph's attitude towards sin led to action. Maybe you caught it in verses 9 and 10, what Joseph did, he ran away from sin. He fled. He stayed as far far away from Potiphar's wife as he could. Did you catch in verse 10 that this wasn't just a one-time thing? That Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph day after day? Yeah, this was a repeated temptation for Joseph. And yet the text tells us very clearly that Joseph refused to be with her. He didn't even want to be in the same area as she was for fear of that temptation. Joseph's passion for obeying God is truly remarkable. That this young man knew that honoring God above all things was his best course of action. It was the only way he could Avoid this devil's snare, this temptation that kept, kept coming back to him time and time again. I have some bad news for you. If you want to be a thermostat, if you want to set the temperature in a room, don't expect the world to applaud you, to pat you on the back. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite will probably happen. You might be scorned and ridiculed, You know what happened in the story of Joseph? As he tried to set the temperature, as he tried to be the thermostat and say, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You know he ended up in prison, right? Because Potiphar's wife caught him on a day when he was all by himself in the house and when Joseph tried to run away, she caught his coat. Another coat got Joseph in trouble. As she presented that evidence to Potiphar and Joseph was accused of something that he hadn't done and thrown into prison. Again, remember that God knew exactly where he needed Joseph and used all of these events to serve the greater good. But it got me to thinking about that idea that somehow sins against the sixth commandment are harmless. I think we all can agree that that's not true. Think about the damage that not following God's will for marriage God's will for sex can cause, the damage that can cause in relationships, in families, that tears families apart, the diseases that have resulted from people simply saying what God says isn't what I want. I think about the effect of something like pornography. 
as people objectify the opposite sex, as they think, ah, oh, this isn't harming anyone, I'm going to be okay, I can stop anytime I want. Meanwhile, the idea that you have for a relationship is completely destroyed. So easy to sin against the sixth commandment. And we think it's going to be fun. We think it's going to bring blessings. We think it's going to bring us happiness. And what it brings is the exact opposite. When I don't follow God's will for my life, God can't bless that. He can't bless my decision to set out on my own rather than listen to what he says. I don't know if you notice this, but I always find it interesting as I think about Luther's explanations to the Ten Commandments that in almost every commandment, Luther says, we should fear and love God that we do not and then list some things that we shouldn't do. And then he goes on to say, but instead we should do this. Did you notice in the Sixth Commandment that there is no we should not? I wonder why. I don't know. Maybe Luther thought, we already knew all of the things that we should not do. Maybe he thought there was too many to list. But for whatever reason, Luther simply says that we should lead a pure and decent life in thoughts and actions, in actions and words. He skipped the word thoughts. But Jesus didn't, did he? Did you hear Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5? Whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah, we sin against the sixth commandment in thought too, don't we? Somebody wise once wrote this, adultery happens much more easily in the head before it ever happens in the bed. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying too. See, what God wants to protect with his sixth commandment is the beauty of the relationship that he gives to husband and wife. The one flesh that the Apostle Paul talked about in his letter to the Corinthians. The idea that you have an unbreakable bond with the spouse that he gives you. And really it comes down to the idea of lust versus love, doesn't it? What's the difference? Well, it's pretty simple when you boil it down. Lust is selfish. Lust is all about me. What I want, what's going to make me feel good. And love is all about others. Love is all about God. It's all about the people that I'm interacting with. And that's why Luther says we should fear and love God, that we follow his will for our lives. Maybe Joseph simply gives us the best opportunity to reflect on how we can handle those temptations. He ran away. Flee. If there's something that's causing you trouble in your life, get rid of it. Make yourself accountable to others. Think about what Jesus himself said in the gospel lesson to emphasize how difficult sin can be, how much it can trip us up. He says, if there's something in your life that's causing you to sin, get rid of it so that nothing leads you to an eternity in hell. It's tough, isn't it? I can tell you it's not any easier sitting in my office preparing for these sermons than it is to talk to you about them. Because here we are in commandment number six and if we made two columns of the commandments and, it's, and there were headings that said those that I have obeyed and those that I have not obeyed, we are now making our sixth check mark in a row in the column those we have not obeyed. We know our guilt. 
We know that on our own, there's no way we have the strength. Even if we ask the right question, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Our flesh is weak. I have great news for you today. The same news that I'm privileged to share with you every single Sunday. God didn't leave us to ourselves. God gave the perfect answer, the only answer, the right answer, and that answer is Jesus. Jesus took your place. Think about that for a moment. For people who can't control their own thoughts, Jesus never once had a single sinful thought in the life that he lived in this world. And that righteousness, the holiness that Jesus lived, God grants to you and me as a free gift. But Jesus' love for us didn't stop there. He went all the way to a cross. And on that cross, he paid. He paid the penalty for your sins, for mine, as that cross was stained with his blood to wash away the stain of our sins, our thoughts, and our words, and our actions, not just against the sixth commandment, but against every commandment. Do you marvel at the passion of our God for us? That he loved us so much that he would act in that way? To take care of our sins, to wipe them away completely in Jesus? It wasn't easy. You and I get a free gift of God, of forgiveness. But it wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus his very blood. But in that blood of Jesus is the strength that we need. You see, I can't say on my own, I can't tell you today to walk out those doors and say, in your own strength, avoid all temptation. Avoid everything evil. But I can tell you this, you have someone who already fought the fight for you. And that's Jesus. And it's in his strength and the love and the compassion that he has for you that we can say no to sin. And we can ask the question, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God and know that Jesus is the strength to answer that question. That's the final truth I'd like you to take from our sermon today, that Jesus' love for us is the only answer for us to say no to sin. It's already paid in the blood of Jesus. And it's Jesus who gives us the strength and the motivation to live for him. The Apostle Paul, in that letter of, to the Corinthians in chapter 6, covers it so well, doesn't he? It's almost as if he's thinking about Joseph's life as he writes these words. Listen again to what he wrote. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Jesus paid the price to redeem you and me, to make us his own, heirs of life with him forever in heaven. Pray for his strength to say no to sin. Some takeaways from our sixth commandment sermon today. Number one, God protects his gifts of marriage and sex through the sixth commandment. When we follow God's will for our lives, blessings will abound. When we set off on our own and think we know better, that's when damage occurs. Number two, when temptations come to sin against the sixth commandment, we strive to honor God. Listen to that question of Joseph. Let that run through your head too. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And then number three, remember the right answer. Jesus paid the price to redeem us, the price of his own blood. You're loved, you're saved, 
You're an heir of life forever with your Savior in heaven. Maybe you've heard this expression, maybe particularly if you've ever played baseball or softball. There's this idea that and if you get hurt, if you get hit by a pitch or something happens, you can just rub some dirt on it, right? Have you ever heard that, rub some dirt on it? I guess the idea is it makes you look tough. You know, if you just get a little bruise and you rub some dirt, maybe it heals bruises, I'm not sure. I don't think it really works, but it is an expression. Got me to thinking a little bit about the toughness, the difficulty of sexual temptation. It's hard. It's hard to say no. It's hard to walk away. It's hard to flee. Maybe we can take a little thought from rubbing some dirt on it and just say, let's put some blood on it. Let's rub some of our Savior's blood as the salve for every temptation that we face. If we think about Jesus and what he gave up for us, the price that he paid for us, it's then that we'll ask the right question, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Or maybe we could ask it a better way, how can I avoid doing this wicked thing and sin against God? And it will also give us the right answer, only through Jesus. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the way to obey. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.